Welcome to the Ryan Holt Show. On this show, you can expect the latest, the greatest, and the best curated content on business, marketing, automotive, and lifestyle. Sit back, put in your earplugs, and let's enjoy the ride. Now, as always, I want to make sure you get the best in content that will help you monster your goals, both personally and professionally. I want to keep this conversation going, so please check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope at RyanHoltz1. And then go over to Facebook.com forward slash RyanHoltz Marketing, and we can chat there too. I also want you to visit www.ryanholtz.ca as this will be where I put my almighty beloved show notes. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am proud to bring you the Ryan Holtz Show. Let the beat drop and enjoy. It's alive and up and I think we're good to go. Uh, hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Rhino Show podcast. Today, I'm actually being interviewed by Matthew uh, Hegg. He is a freelance writer and uh, he has some questions regarding uh, some new Airstream product. I'm going to turn over the video and the interview and the podcast and everything to you, Matthew. Thanks for uh, coming on the show and, uh, and uh, being able to uh, reverse engineer the interview. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you today about the Airstream Nest, which is a new product that is just being launched by Airstream. And um, basically, Airstream is a 85-year-old company, very traditional, has an iconic design. Basically, all the Airstreams for the last 85 years have had this kind of rounded aluminum look. And for the first time, they've introduced a trailer that is actually quite angular, and it's entirely fiberglass. So instead of being that reflective beautiful shine it is kind of gray and looks more like an iphone than it can (laughs) and so i kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about it based on your background in automotive marketing just to see how when a company such as this introduces a completely foreign product line how they can pivot successfully with it like is it a good opportunity to reach new markets what are the pitfalls in that kind of marketing change what are the opportunities? That kind of thing. I think it's interesting because if, if you, I guess the analogy is, you know, when they come out with a new vehicle and uh, they change, let's say, the, the front grille design of that vehicle. Let's say you had a BMW. A lot of people love a BMW because of that classic front grille. So some people get attached to it. However, um, I think given that an, the Airstream is an RV, um, the potential customer is involved with, you know, RV lifestyle, which is kind of a, you know, a, a whole different segment. And I think that, Airstreams, you know, they've always been, in my opinion, very, um, their vernacular is amazing in the sense that they've always been on the forefront of innovation and technology. Even when you see their, their consume, um, shell, everybody knows when it's driving down the highway, yo, that's an Airstream. Um, yeah. and it's, it's kind of like, uh, I'm trying to think of that cartoon that, that, uh, Airstreams are always a part of, but I think it's a lot of room, uh, for growth. I think in terms of, you know, uh, customer accu, accu- uh, I guess we could say customer acquisition, um, you know, their, their new design and things like that, they're clearly trying to go after uh, a different market, but still retain, uh, their you know their their market to date so i think there's lots of opportunities um but i think that you know as a product line it's always good to refresh and and make little enhancements Mm -hmm. yeah you mentioned that the it's sort of the rv market which is actually quite a popular market right now and one of the things i find interesting about this is that like compared to some other very traditional brands say like harley davidson with their heavy motorcycles 
their sales are declining, their um, customer base is aging, whereas RV, their sales are actually really strong with the traditional aluminum models. A lot of young people love that, like van life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of one reason why I find this curious that like young people, old people, a lot of people love the aluminum look and yet they're going for this new fiberglass approach. And I just kind of wonder like, why i think you know what i mean i think an airstream is like it's like a badge of honor in the rv i think the aluminum look is what makes an airstream i think it's a, a really slippery slope keep in mind that when manufacturers come out with new product lines or, or test the waters they're kind of always coming into the market knowing that this could be really well received or uh you know our customer base might hate it and they basically revert back to the original design um i think i think you, you na- nailed the head uh, you know nailed nailed it on the head in the sense that rv sales do very well and even even prior to me dealing with rv dealers and, and kind of having dealers as clients and things like that my misconception about the rv industry was that it was all older people which couldn't be further from the truth i mean the the bulk of that rv buyers like you know 30 35 to 50 years old type thing and you have to look at Canadian economy. If you come out west here, if you look at Alberta with all the oil decline and stuff like that, people, it's hard for people to afford to take, you know, a family of, you know, three kids and two adults in an airplane, uh, whereas they could go and get an RV at a monthly payment that's really, really nice and go and explore our beautiful country as it is right now. So you make some good points. That's a very interesting point you're making too, just about the oil economy and that this new RV from Airstream actually is lighter. So it means that you don't have to pull it on such a big car yep. or truck rather, like a big SUV, yep. a big truck. And that might also help open it to new markets, I'm assuming, because it means that someone who's not necessarily willing to spend the gas mileage to pull it could afford it, I'm well, assuming. Well, you're, you're right in saying that, but it's also as, as, as soon as you bring up the fuel economy, look what's happening in British Columbia, right? I mean, gas prices are hitting like, you know, buck 50. It's, it's insane with everything that's going on in the pipeline issues. However, you're right. You don't necessarily need a, a, you know, as large of a vehicle, but then the actual weight of the RV makes a huge difference too, because, you know, not only are you pulling your vehicle down the highway, but you're also pulling, you know, I don't know, 2,500 pounds behind you. And that makes a huge, huge difference on the, on the gas mileage. So, um, RVs in general, I think, you know, people that are, and, you know, I knew I was doing this interview with you, so I kind of took a little pull on my social media. But people who who live the RV lifestyle are very passionate about it. You know, I'm sitting here in BC right now and I have like literally 10 RV parks, you know, around our area. And yeah, and I mean, it's it's interesting. It's opened my eyes because I think, you know, it's weird if you talk to somebody that's not in the RV lifestyle, they're kind of like, why would you go hang out in an RV park? And then. I mean, my wife and I, we go drive through them here because they're absolutely gorgeous. I mean, you got mountain mm-hmm. views, the grass is cut, they have all their electrical set up. I mean, and, and then you look at the RVs that people are buying and you're like, this is better than a five-star hotel when you walk inside. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things when I was in researching this article that I found interesting was looking back at um, old photos of Airstreams and like seeing how there was kind of this cult around taking your Airstream to all these interesting places. Like there was one photo that I really loved with all these Airstreams outside the pyramids in Egypt, because like it allows you a certain amount of traveling freedom and there's a big community around it, which I think is something that people who aren't in the RV lifestyle don't necessarily think about, like how it sort of bonds people together and opens like a world of travel in a whole new way. And that is really kind of special for sure. 
Well, I think RVing, it's uh, it's kind of like a commune. I mean, when you go into an RV park and you just drive around, it's uh, it brings a sense of community because you have, you know, one family side by side. Um, and you see kids playing, you see, you know, lawn chairs sat around, you know, you see, uh, you know, bonfires happening. Um, I think RV, it's, it's interesting. The product itself is almost like a byproduct of what the RV affords people to be able to do in terms of uh, experience. And I think that, you know, even when, when we deal with RV dealers and stuff like that, when we're trying to market these things, we, we, we try to encourage, you know, don't talk, you know, don't make the whole conversation or story about the product, you know, make it more about the story and all the options that the product can actually do for people who, especially, in, you know, in an economy that's definitely not so hot, um, are, are, you know, really trying to be smart financially. But, you know, it's we're coming to summertime. Kids are off school. Um, no parent, you know, we're parents too. And I mean, no parent wants to sit around with their kids over summer and, and you know, the kids need to be entertained and stuff like that. So I think the opportunities that it affords to people are amazing, but not to mention financial. I mean, you can mortgage these RVs that, you know, they're not costing you more than like a couple hundred bucks a month. So it becomes very practical that way. Yeah, that's a very interesting point you're raising about it's not just the product, but what it affords you to do. And maybe that kind of um, allows a company like Airstream to introduce a new product like that, where it's not just the exterior aesthetic that's selling it, but like it is a lower price point than their other RVs. Absolutely. It broadens it to allow more people into that lifestyle. If not the look, you know, the look people are going for. It's more than that. Well, it's kind of like going, if you were to give another analogy and let's talk about the iPhone. I mean, the iPhone X, the 10 came out and Apple, you know, basically, you know, it was its 10 year anniversary marketed as, as a flagship product. But then it, it, it didn't do so hot because it's so expensive. Oh. So now Apple's kind of going back and saying, well, OK, you like the bevel screen. Let's give you a, a different product that's at a lower price point. And people have started talking about that. I think Airstream and for everybody that knows the product line, it's not the cheapest product around at all. Like not it's all. it's it's it, it might even be on the upper end of one of the most expensive products. But, Absolutely. you know, I think Airstream smart for saying, hey, we realize that in a downturn economy, people still want to enjoy our product they still want to say hey i own an airstream but maybe they just don't want to shell out as much money to to be able to say that you know yeah this airstream um starts at forty nine thousand us or so <laughs> which is about a hundred thousand less than some of their other products like some of the bigger airstreams are definitely high-end absolutely very expensive and but maybe that's smart too in terms of the changing materials because um it's a lower price point but it's not really degrading that look do you know what i mean it's like it's different absolutely so it's like they're saying if this is a a cheap airstream it sort of has a different feel to it to not muddy the waters quite so much well uh, we just got a comment on facebook live and uh, allison clark said this is a fascinating conversation it's interesting my family in earlier years would travel across the country especially in the areas of bc with the trailer it had it had the the same thing as an rv however seeing the country and seeing it from the road she's basically saying that you know seeing the parks and things like that gave her a whole different experience but the parents then basically have to go broke during that right yeah. I, I think Airstream, you know, specifically with Airstream, I, you know, bra- marketing, we always talk about like branding and we talk about, you know, the value of a brand and, and a lot of brands, like if we go to Walmart or we go to Versace, Versace doesn't have sales. Like they don't send yeah. you out a mailer and say 25% off. Um, and, you know, people would argue me on this, but basically to keep that integrity of a, of a high end luxury brand, 
you know, people say, well, don't create a product that's lesser because you're ultimately, you know, deterring from your actual main brand. I disagree. I think that any brand that's positioning itself to accommodate, you know, economical situations, to create better experiences, to continuously be better is a smart brand, in my opinion. If you stay static and stay the same year after year, I mean, companies like Amazon are blowing retailers out. Toys R Us is gone. You know, you have to adapt, right? And I think mm-hmm. that Airstream's move, even though people might say, yay, I like the aluminum look, they're adapting, and I think they're smart for that. Yeah, you're mentioning Versace not going, putting things on sale, which is true. But then another thing that high-end fashion brands do is try and attract the the sort of like upper end of the middle market in a way by doing things like branding t-shirts or perfume where it's like that t-shirt might be expensive compared to other t-shirts but because it has that brand association it's still quite aspirational like people want it and they can afford it so they go for it where like this could be like that in a way where it's like um, the brand is sort of introducing something that a different market can attain especially younger people I can imagine aspiring to this like younger people who are priced out of the housing market Yep. Or the cottage market, for yep. example, yep. the $49,000 price range that allows them to tour and see the country and be in cottage country is appealing. You have to be, I mean, there's a there's a fine line, and I call it kind of the delusional line between saying, I'm Mr. Amazing Brand. All right, perfect. Uh, hey, everyone, we're back uh, with Matthew. Again, we're just talking about the Airstream, uh, their shift from aluminum. Is it good? Is it bad? Matthew, carry it away, man. Oh yeah, sorry. So I just wanted to kind of touch base on how this maybe is indicative of any bigger trends in the automotive sector. For uh, I was sort of saying that it's interesting to me that this is kind of a lighter, uh, more fuel efficient, cheaper option. Uh, I know for the last while, like some of the bigger automotive companies like General Motors say have been making their money off of bigger SUVs, trucks. I'm just kind of wondering if this might signal a shift the other way to smaller, lighter cars or how you sort of feel about the bigger picture of the automotive industry in general? Well, you know, what's interesting. If I go long route on this one, on a long answer, we're coming into, I mean, we know, right? And people talk about the millennials all the time. And I kind of make fun of them because I'm like, people talk about millennials, like we're not real people. I mean, you know, the millennials going up to like age 35 and then after that, I guess we don't exist. So everybody's like, (laughs) market to the millennials, market to the millennials, you know, without the millennials. And I'm like, come on. The millennials are spending a lot less money, but my point is we're coming into the sharing economy. So this is things like Airbnbs. These are things like Uber. Um, if you look, I mean, it's amazing. You can go on Airbnb and go and rent somebody's Airstream out on their little lot in the middle of like nowhere. So I think that car manufacturers and RV manufacturers, they have to understand that A, a lot of families and households are going from two car households to one car households. Um, a lot of millennials, quote unquote, and I bring them up, they, I mean, they are literally not wanting to spend money. Um, they are keeping their phones a little longer. They are keeping, uh, you know, their bills, uh, you know, to, to a minimum things like Netflix. I mean, look at all the cord cutters out there with cable television, right? I just read an article yesterday where Netflix for the first time has actually taken over more subscriptions than any major cable network in the world. Wow. And, and the, and the reason for that is, how can you compare? You can watch what you want when you want for $9.99 per month anywhere as long as you got internet. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of pushing out further to your answer is uh, as a manufacturer, bigger is not always better. You need to make sure that your price point is appropriate. 
But then you have to especially make sure that the fuel and the cost of maintenance on a vehicle is even better. And I think that you're going to see a lot of manufacturers coming out with uh, with a lot different product lines. And I, you know, the trucks out west, especially when you know oil's good in Alberta. I mean, you see so many trucks. Um, and now you're starting to hear a lot of people that drive trucks like, wow, this is costing so much money in gas, yeah. right? A guy, a guy the other day posted on Facebook. He's like, it cost me $200 to fill up my truck. And it doesn't even last me like, you know, more than a day or two because he's driving so much, right? Mm-hmm. And if that person's a tradesperson and they're making all their money from the oil industry and the oil industry is not doing so good, how long can you actually afford to keep putting $200 in that big truck? Yeah, I know. That's a very, very important question because... How, I mean, that seems like a, such an important thing, with especially with families and things like, how can you afford those big gas bills and for how long? But I, going back to your point about millennials, I wonder too, like if this Airstream seems like purpose built for them in the sense that it is more affordable, definitely much more affordable. And it affords that thing that millennials love, which is to be able to have experiences mm. like it's sort of purpose built for that idea of like getting up and going and being free and flexible which sort of fits that it may be stereotypical but that idea of what millennials love especially if as you point out you can make a secondary income of, of putting it up on our on our airbnb or that kind of thing too well you, it really seems tailored to that well you look at the appearance i was before we before we we leg there i was i was kind of talking about um, you know, in we do uh, some marketing for our V trade shows and things like that. So we we take a lot of consumer information and basically mm-hmm. say like, why do you love this RV? What what about this RV or this trailer does it for you? And what we notice a lot is that a lot of people who are fixated on the look of the RV are not becoming so fixated on the outer experience, but they're more becoming fixated on what can the RV do, the options that it has inside. And things of this nature, right? I think it's interesting where when you talk about millennials, right? It's like kind of old school, right? If you worked in business, you you mandatorily had to wear like a as a guy like a, a dress shirt and tie. Well, you I I don't know where you're located, but look around where you are. Everyday business, people are dressing a lot more casual. Um, they're wanting to get what they want when they want, how they want it. We're turning into an on-demand, you know, society, right? Why should I have to pay for a hundred cable channels when I only buy t- when only watch two of them, right? And so it's affecting every company uh, right across the board. I, I really think housing and transportation is huge because, like, look at Airbnb, man. It's amazing, right? Look, it's 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 taken a huge slice out of the hotel business. When mm-hmm. when could you ever go? Like, my wife and I booked a trip. We went to Europe a couple years ago, and we always stayed in was Airbnbs and took Ubers, uh-huh. and it was the most amazing experience. We had Giuseppe in Florence. Who's like oh, this yeah. older guy that picked us up and then we actually stayed at his Airbnb and he oh, gave yeah. us an experience that was like, like no other. There was no hotel. He was a local. He knew everybody. I mean, where could you go find a hotel that's like in the middle of nowhere on, on like a rock overlooking like the Mediterranean Sea? It's mm-hmm. just it's just insane. Right. So I guess my point is it's exciting times for for companies and manufacturers that are looking to adapt and change. And it's probably a nightmare for ones that aren't tooled with the mentality that, yo, like, look what's happening in the world right now. Look how me and you are talking. We're live streaming it on Facebook and then it's going into a podcast and then you're going to write all this down. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) You also mentioned, too, that what I thought was interesting was those RV trade shows and like sort of asking customers what they're looking for and finding that features are very important. And I also think, too, for millennials that um, like it's not so much like the color of a car that matters or that kind of thing, but 
really like the technology in it. Yes. And and those features are so important. And millennial shoppers, especially because they don't have as much money, maybe are very savvy about researching all those features. And like for this Airstream, say, you know, having a really good story about the materials and how it's so lightweight and all that stuff really makes a big difference, I think, because it um, just it's not gratuitous. Like it's sort of all justified or value added for the brand. Well, it is. And, and it's interesting now. It's a good point because you're you're going into it's kind of like back in the day when dealerships would try to upsell you on GPSs inside the oh, vehicle, yeah. um, uh-huh. or if you remember all those monitors that were on the ba- on the on the seats so that kids could watch TV. Yeah. Why would you go and spend like you know an extra fifteen hundred or three thousand dollars on a GPS and seat in, in seat displays when you can go buy like an iPad for a couple hundred bucks and your yeah. phone has the best GPS system up to date on it any time of any time anywhere in the world. Yeah. And, you know, you get into your vehicle now and your phone automatically sinks in where you can listen to your music, Um, everything. It's crazy. Like you look at the phone, you don't even need to carry a wallet anymore. Like the phone is everything, right? Like it's kind of funny. Like we kind of as marketers, we, we study consumers. It's basically consumer behavior. All we're trying to figure out as marketers is what you're going to need, maybe now or eventually. And then present that product to you in a way that doesn't annoy you at the right mm-hmm. timing. Amazon has built the whole fundamental of their business on this. You go and look for a shirt. They might say, hey, man, Matthew, you're probably looking for, I don't know, a pair of pants. If you go look at a pair of pants, hey, a lot of people buy these pants, buy these shoes. They're making it almost, I don't want to use the word, I'll use the word dummy for lack of a better term, but it's almost okay. like dummy proof where they're oh, almost yeah. like telling you and guiding you without you even almost knowing it. So mm-hmm. if you're a company that's, you know, servicing people, you need to really be in the business of behavioral psychology and what they're going to do and deliver an amazing more up to date for sure. Much better GPS. All those those are really good points. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks so much for chatting with me about this. I really appreciate it. Yes, I appreciate you. And everybody, uh, just before you leave, how can everybody reach out to you? I know you do freelance writing. Are you on the social media? Plug yourself away. Oh, sure. So, yeah, I write for the Globe and Mail. This article specifically that I'm working for is going to be in a business magazine called Pivot, which is a brand new magazine, Canadian magazine. Um, I'm on Instagram and my handle is at Matthew.Haig. And let me ask you this, because this is a really fascinating question. So you, you are in media and you yep. work you work at the Globe and Mail. How mm-hmm. has all this changed the way you operate and what kinds of things as you as a freelance writer, I mean, you got to be thinking like, holy crap, like nobody's watching TV, like, like not, I shouldn't say that, but not as much. And how they're like, nobody's maybe reading, you know, picking up those daily magazines or like, how do you as somebody who's younger and you're in the content generation business, how are you adapting to this? That is such a good question and something that keeps me up at night because it's like changing so fast. And what's challenging to be candid for someone like me is that like the legacy brands are sort of dying out, um, but they're still the ones that invest the most money. And so like newer um, online or digital or multi-platform brands don't necessarily generate a lot of income. So it's still bigger brands that are struggling, like the Globe and Mail, for example, that pay and making that transition has just been very bumpy. I mean, on one hand, as a content generator, it's the best time because you have all these amazing tools, research mm. tools, like all the social media platforms, the 
um, you know, online community groups, everything can sort of help you find and cultivate the most interesting stories. I mean, just on a very basic level, that's sort of how I found you is like through Google 20 years ago, that would have been impossible to sort of find you maybe, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, the real challenge is sort of like coming up with a viable business model that like can sustain through the long term. And that just really hasn't appeared yet. I mean, very few people have figured it out. So like certain some ways that people are trying to explore are crowdfunding, for example. Yep. Like if you have a big enough following or a good enough reputation, you might be able to crowdsource but through Kickstarter, say, or Patreon. But that's challenging because like for a journalist, you're really you're really trying to make your job not about that back end um, business side, but more about telling the right stories. Mm. So as a long winded non answer to your question, it's just challenging, and it's just something that we're all sort of trying to figure out as we go. For sure. But I look at like you look at like everybody who has a smartphone is technically a media company now. And that is very true. But it's interesting, right? Like, for instance, I am not a professional radio host or podcaster. I own a digital marketing company, but I yeah. always fought with the idea of do I want to have a monthly newsletter that nobody reads? Do I yes. want to, you know, put a blog out every, you know, three, four days? I know that content is king. Context is everything. However, <laughs> people are being thrown so much content every single minute. that it's absolutely crazy however me opening up the podcast realizing that i don't think people necessarily are going to listen to radio but they're going to listen to the podcast because they can do it when they want how they Mm -hmm. want if they want Mm -hmm. and on their own terms it's it's passive content consumption and you know i i tell a lot of businesses now that we market for market like you're a media company because mm-hmm. if you open up your advertisement by saying, come buy my product, like that's so 1999 and just shit, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas you yeah. got to like, you got to entice me, man. Like, give me a hook. Tell me how, like, if I help Matthew Haig get to where he wants to go, just by serendipity, I'm going to get to where I need to go. And that's yes. where the more value I can provide to people, it's always coming back tenfold anyway. So every time I talk to somebody in the media business, I always ask the question because I'm, I'm just like, how are you guys sleeping at night? Like. You must be like, I'm going to have to adapt. I mean, yes. that's well, you, regardless. Yeah, you raise a very good point, which I think um, media people of all stripes should know, whether it's sort of like on like, um, I guess, like an editorial side or even on a marketing side is that doing things on a for because you feel like you have to like that newsletter you're mentioning, like people, I think, sometimes get stuck in the idea that they have to have a newsletter or a blog or a Twitter not or, but and, and like all these channels going at the same time, even though no one's necessarily reading them, it could just be falling on deaf ears. And I think being flexible is so key where it's like, say your newsletter is not getting attention, but your podcast is getting traction because it suits your business better or your voice. Like you have Mm. a great radio voice, even if you don't have a radio background. So thanks Matthew air air horns for that one. Thank you. (laughs) Spending, spending time focusing on that channel because it works for you. makes a lot of sense. It's very easy. I think for people to get disoriented in a world where like there's like a million channels, a million routes and you can't really do all of them. Mm. So picking and choosing your battles is so key. Like knowing, knowing where your audience lives, for example, like say your audience is all on Snapchat. It doesn't really make sense for you to be, doing podcasts Mm, and vice versa mm. sort of being a little more savvy and doing your research and also like an internal audit of 
where do my skills actually lie? Okay, but Matthew, I got to debate you on that one, okay? Because, okay, okay, let's rewind it up. Now, if we make, so Matthew Haig goes and writes an amazing article, gets yep. traction. The first, yep. the second most important thing, maybe even, I mean, content is king, so you got to write something good. However, assuming that's done, the most important part of that, this process now is distribution. Who's yes. going to be seeing it? What channel? Where it's going? Here's what I like about a podcast. And people said to me, like, Ryan, well, why the podcast? It's audio, I can do video, uh-huh. and I can do written. So I'm getting, yeah. I'm, I'm, like, if you're a guy that says, I don't want to read, I want to I hear, okay, I got that for you. Maybe you like video, I got that for you. Maybe we're going to write and transcribe the podcast. Okay, I got that for you. So on Snapchat, for instance, I'll take a little 15-second clip of the podcast and then figure out how to tailor that to my audience. For instance, last week... Uh-huh. 25% of my new downloads came from Snapchat on my podcast. Yeah. So because then I could get them to swipe up kind of like Instagram stories, right? Uh-huh. And go back uh-huh. around. I think for you, because it's funny, like I'm thinking like a media person. I mean, I admire what you're doing because as a podcast producer, I bring on guests. I have to work like, I mean, you know this. I've, I've had some pretty big guests on. I got to go through a publicist. I got to go through all these uh-huh. hoops just to get the guest, right? Yeah. But what I've realized about it is... I'm now almost like a media company, so I have to start thinking like one. You Mm -hmm. as a writer, and I've had a couple other writers on the show too, I commend you, man. You have a skill that I think that most great writers don't even know how important it actually is. Because when Mm -hmm. I go and actually write these headlines for my podcast, I literally sit there with my wife and I'm like, okay, honey, listen to like 10 minutes of this and tell me like, what is the hook? Because every time I think something's the hook, like I'm never in the middle. Either it bombs or it goes oh, yeah. really good. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. why did the one that went really good? Like, I thought, I, I didn't even think that one was going to be good. Like, I just, yeah. so I'm constantly trying to figure out the hook. You guys, you write up a statement. I'm like, damn, that makes uh-huh. sense. Like, we're, like, out of all that, you just pick out six words. Yes. And, and speaking to good writers like yourself, they all say the same thing. They're like, Ryan, you cannot write a paragraph. Like, your headline has to be catchy. Otherwise, nobody's oh, sure. even, even going to click. That is very true. Like, the immediacy of things is more important than ever. Like you can't leave anyone waiting for even a second to understand what you're saying because they're already on to the next thing. Yeah. But your point about like um, the Snapchat downloads, I think that's exactly what I'm saying in a way because you're being very thoughtful in your approach. Yes. It's not like um, a pray and spray thing of like, I'll just put it out everywhere. You're sort of tailoring to the platform and making it work. And I, I think that's sort of what I meant when I was saying like, I don't think people necessarily think so much. They just think like, I need a blog, I need a Twitter, I need a this and, I, and but they don't think of like, what actually works best for that platform? How can I tailor it? Like, do you know what I mean? That kind yeah. of thing. You know, and, you, you know, once this is live, what I'm going to do, I'm going, once your article's posted and we post the podcast, I'm going to go into Instagram. I'm going to type in the hashtag Airstream. I'm actually going to direct prob- direct message probably up to 5,000 people. And I'm literally going to send with my thumbs and say, hey, just did an article on the Airstream. Would love to know your thoughts because mm-hmm. people it's a, and it's a lot of work. But I will tell you, people are like, what? This guy direct messaged me and asked me what my thoughts were. And then I send them to the link where they can consume our content for you. Imagine you go through all your articles right now and you go in and you start just talking to people. Matthew, man, I'm giving you some solid bombs right now. Do yeah. it, do it, do it. I, and yeah. you know what? Aside from all this Globe and Mail stuff, I hope you you will come back on the show because I'd love to talk with you about this subject because I think it's big. 
Yeah, thanks so much. I mean, that's really great, really great insights. Just reminding me of like, you sort of have to work that extra step, you know? It's kind of, it's easy really to like, it's funny because as a writer in media and all this, it's really easy to like get complacent in your own hole sometimes. And it's only like when somebody says, yo, your skill's amazing. You're like, yeah, it actually is amazing. Wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. There's many ways I could capitalize. Um, but is there any last message you want to say uh, to the guests or, or to the audience that's going to be listening or anything before we uh, wrap it up? Just thank you. I mean, this was a lot of fun. It was a different experience for me. I really appreciate the time. Nice to tie with you. Perfect. Uh, everyone, this has been another episode of the Rhino Show podcast. I am, again, curiosity is our mandate. Uh, it was a pleasure to be interviewed by Matthew Haig, a writer for Globe and Mail and several other pro- uh, publications. Um, again, I will include in the show notes where you can re- reach him. Um, everyone, please go on to Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. Your reviews are huge. It helps us. Um, and as always, you can send me an email, info at ryanholtz.ca. If there's any guests or topics you'd like us to chat about, and you can hit me up at, at Reinholds1 on all the platforms. You'll see a lot of pictures of my kids and family, but all I like to do is have conversation. Matthew, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you very much. All right, everybody, take care. Ciao. Matthew, I'll let you know when everything's live, and uh, let me know when everything's live on your end. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Have a good day, man. You too. Bye.